Hey everyone, welcome to the Riverview Church Podcast. We hope that you're encouraged and inspired by today's message. We'd love for you to join us more frequently. So before we get started, why don't you take a moment to subscribe to our podcast? Good evening, everyone. So good to see you all. Great to be back at Riverview Church preaching the Word of God tonight. How many of you are ready for that? How many of you are not ready for that? How many of you would not lift your hand regardless of what I said? Yes, all right. Hey, tonight I want to speak to you about being gratefully disillusioned. Gratefully disillusioned. My job tonight is to disillusion you about God. Anything you thought you knew about God is wrong if it doesn't look like Jesus. My job is to disillusion you. You see, the word disillusion is a good word. If you haven't been disillusioned lately, that's a shame because you need to be disillusioned to be released from an illusion. If you remember any of your grammar at school, if you put the prefix D-I-S in front of the word, any word, it means to undo or be released from. So to stick the word or the prefix D-I-S in front of the word illusion means to be released from. See, I can't disillusion you about God unless at first you have an illusion. So you need to be set free from your illusions about God. That's my mission. Whether or not you're gonna be grateful for what I'm about to do is entirely up to you. Hopefully by the time we land, you're gonna be grateful uh, for the disillusionments that you let go of. Sometimes learning means unlearning. We have to let go of some things uh, that we have illusions that we have about God. All right, so just in case you get lost, that was the short version of where I'm trying to take you, all right? So, okay, yeah, that's where this guy's going. And where we're gonna start is um, what God says about Himself. I think God, that's fair enough. God should tell us who He is, yeah? So Isaiah 55 verse eight says, this is God speaking. He says, my thoughts, there are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. Imagine something awesome, amazing. God says, far beyond that. And just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So God is saying, guys, I'm God. You can't comprehend me. You, you, you're gonna blow a fuse if you think you can comprehend who I am. You have a limited mental capacity, but I am limitless. So give it up. I'm a God of mystery. I'm gonna permit things by my wisdom that I could have prevented by my power. And it's gonna mess you up when I do it, but I'm God. I'm working with this bigger plan. You're seeing this much. I'm working with a 360. All right, and so I'm weaving together a tapestry of events through human history with threads going here and there. You're looking at the underside going, what the heck's going on? God's working something out. 
and the platform of history that's far beyond our comprehension. And God says, come on, work with it. Accept the fact that I am beyond your comprehension. And why is this something we need to, to grasp? Because it sets us up for a real tension. Because on one hand, we're trying to convey God is relational and approachable. But while we're doing that, we run the risk of diminishing His awesomeness. We run the risk of making Him a super-sized, super-powered human being. God is not a, a, you know, a souped-up human being. All right? And... When once we start reducing God, you know, down to this size that we can comprehend Him, we are bringing Him down from His glory. We're actually limiting Him. How do we limit God? Well, if you think that God turns up somewhere, the presence of God just came into the room. That's an illusion. God, poor God, He can't come and go from anywhere because He's everywhere at once. Now you feel like he just turned up, but that's because the song, that was your favourite song. Uh, you know, when you stop uh, your anxiety about your mortgage or your car payment long enough to go, that's right, I've got a God. And, and it felt like he just turned up. Oh yes, there he is. God, this is his favourite chorus too, apparently. And that's us just playing with our awareness. The psalmist got it right when he said, would you give up that illusion? God, come, come and go from anywhere. He said, uh, Psalm 139, uh, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. So if you've got a God that's coming and going, eh, flush, no, not, not happening. He can't do that, okay? Uh, he's everywhere. And if you've brought him into this time space dimension, you're humanizing him far too much. And you need to let go of that illusion. So on, on one hand, we've got this relational, approachable God, but on the, on the other hand, he is beyond our comprehension. And you see, we, we think we're doing the world a service by trying to remove all that's mysterious and confusing about God. But really, while we're doing that, we're reinventing God into an image that we can comprehend. And now we're calling that image God. This same God that says, give it up, you can't do it. That's why God forbade any images at all because nothing could contain a true image of who He is, all right? So when the limited minds of men try to work out in detail uh, this God who is beyond limitation, we end up inventing an idol and we call that idol God. That's God. And then we have various church groups that come up with their own set of religious gymnastics that need to be formed or performed to appease or be approachable or uh, be acceptable to this God that they've made up in their heads. This is not Christianity, folks. That's an illusionary Christianity. And sadly, when our materialistic first world culture, when we get going at inventing our image of God, we 
He's a curious mix. You know, in many first world materialistic cultures right now, God is a curious mix of Santa Claus, a vending machine and a permission giving granddad. And we put them all together and there's our God, he's awesome. If you push A13, you always get the chocolate bar. You just feel to know how to pray and declare and confess and out it comes every time. No, sorry, that's some other God that you've invented, all right? So, but the good news is none of this really matters to God. He doesn't feel at all pressured to live up to the illusionary images that we make up about Him. He simply says, listen, I am who I am and I will be who I will be. So God's not at all intimidated or or feeling any pressure to conform to our illusionary images of who uh, He is. See, we think we want a God who will give us what we want but we really don't. We want a God who knows the end from the beginning and will never sacrifice something eternal to give us something temporal. We don't want a God that we can manipulate with our prayers. If you can manipulate God with your prayers, then you're God and He's your minion. Yeah, you're God. You've got this lackey. You've got this servant God that's waiting like a genie in a bottle for your next rub and command. No, that's not God. He's beyond your comprehension. Come on, don't bring Him down from His glory. All right. He's not here to serve you. You know, where? Let's get this whole Lordship thing sorted out. We got the Saviour part sorted, but we sure are reluctant about the Lord part. Yeah, sovereign control apart. So what's, what's your point, David? Well, my point is so many people inside and out the ch- outside of the church desperately need to be disillusioned about God. Desperately need to be disillusioned. And you might say, well, yeah, that, that doesn't sound right somehow to be disillusioned. Well, as I said, When you're disillusioned, you're actually breaking free from an illusion. You're breaking free from a a false belief. And I've uh, learned that it's actually not people's doubts keeping them from getting closer to God. It's their beliefs. Their beliefs are keeping them from getting closer to God. Their illusionary beliefs that He's angry, that He's demanding that He's watching you. He's a gotcha God. Some of you have a gotcha God. Gotcha. Oh, gotcha. Right. Gabriel, get down there and sort them out now. That's your God. Flush Him. Get a different one. Get a real one. Get a real one. All right. If that's the one that you've invented. Now, atheists, they've got it made. Atheists, what they do is they come up with an image of God in their mind and then they say, I don't believe in that image. Wow, that was tricky. You see how they did that? It was like a little sidestep they did there. Uh, 
That's God and I don't believe in Him. And I, I sit with these people and I say, explain to me about your God. Well, He's angry and He's moody and He's, and he's getting around the, the universe. He's, he's not compassionate. He doesn't care. He's not and I go, I don't believe in Him either. This God you're describing, I'm, I'm an atheist too of your God. I don't believe in that. Come on, we're buddies. Hey, yeah, atheism of that God. Because they made him up and they decided we don't believe in this God we made up. Yeah, I don't believe in him either. But you know, we can't be too hard on the atheists because Christians have a way of doing that too. We we form an image of God based on rumour rather than revelation. All right. And so so Christians can have this great need to be disillusioned about God too. Why do we ask God for more when Jesus said it is finished? Why do we keep doing that? Where do we get that from? We want more. Well, if I told you it's finished and you kept chanting for more, I'd be slapping you. I'd say, look, I said it's finished, all right? Jesus sat down and there's a reason why the Bible makes a point of Him seated, ascending to heaven and sitting down because that's what you do when you're finished. That's what you do when there's nothing left to do. You sit down, but not us. We've been chanting for more ever since. Jesus sat down. We want Jesus getting up, running around after stuff. No, we want him to stay seated because if he ever got up, it would imply he wasn't finished. So why do we do that? All right. You know, we love it. Some of us, we love to talk about pressing into God, pressing and wrestling with him in prayer. Well, what are you doing that for? Well, where'd you get this? God, he's got to be wrestled. You will answer my prayers and give it to me. Gee, flush that one. Get yourself a decent God. I mean, Job. When Jesus was explaining the Father heart of God to us, when He was telling us the parable of the prodigal, a story that is completely in control of all the characters, He has the Father running down the road to meet the prodigal. You've, you know, many of us, we flip it the other way around. We're chasing after God. Well, you egotistical so-and-so. Yeah, what? You're chasing God? No, He's chasing you. Your salvation was really this. He'd been chasing you for years. And then finally, yeah, okay, God, I give in. I receive you into my life. So, We need to desperately be disillusioned about this reluctant God who needs to be chased and begged for more and understand that it's a finished work of Jesus Christ. See, when we we develop our illusionary beliefs about God and we don't understand the finished work of Jesus Christ, we end up with so much religious nonsense. And I'd have to put the word in there, sometimes superstitious nonsense that has crept its way into our Christianity. Uh, So the truth is, everybody, 
No amount of prayer, Bible study or obedience can make you any more acceptable to God than you are right now by the blood of Jesus. That is the absolute truth. Anything you're trying to add to what God has called finished, He has a word for it. It's called self-righteousness. All right? And it stinketh in His nostrils. All right? So just remember that we have a seated Saviour. Here's the thing I love to tell people. This is a major disillusionment moment. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm enjoying myself up here. I don't know about you. You need to catch up, all right? God is not going to do any more for you than what He's already done. Because the rest of your Christian life is just a progressive revelation of what He's already done. You think He's doing stuff. No, no, no. What's happening is a veil comes off and you step into that revelation and you experience it. So you see Jesus as Saviour, you step into it, you you're saved. You see Him as healer, you step into that. He's not doing it, He's done it. You are experiencing an ongoing progressive revelation of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted present ongoing tense to, every, to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. So perhaps one of the greatest imbalances in, in church life today is the continual emphasis on what we must do for God without first emphasising what He's done for us to make the doing possible. See, you are condemning people to a cruel religious struggle if you just lay do on them without telling them about the done, all right? And so some of us, you know, Christianity, if we're really honest, it's hard going. It's, it's not all this hard. <laughs> it's actually hard going because all we've got is do and we didn't get the done. All right, we didn't get, we're accessing grace. We're accessing a divine power that's enabling us to do all these things pertaining to life and godliness. So for some Christians, Christianity is exhausting and miserable because it's just in their mind, a constant climb of Mount Dudu. Mount Doodoo. What's Mount Doodoo? Well, in their mind, they've got to collect all this doodoo. They've got to doodoo enough prayer. They've got to doodoo enough Bible study. Doodoo enough good deeds. And then if they get all their doodoo together, they stand on top of their doodoo. See God, look at all that doodoo I've collected. I am worthy to stand in your presence right now. Well, you know, doo-doo's very slippery because it's not long before you didn't get up at six o'clock, you missed your Bible devotion, you didn't help the old lady across the street even though she didn't want to be, but you made her get across that street and you slide down Mount Doo-Doo. Oh man, I'm not, I can't feel close to God because I don't have enough doo-doo. It's going to take me ages to get that much doo-doo together again. Oh, I feel so backslidden. What else can I do while I'm down here that, you know, before I, 
put her in the hard yakka to get that much doo-doo together again. So now we start again collecting doo Well, what an exhausting Christianity. Flush that God, the God of doo-doo. Let's just... There it goes. You know, the aeroplane toilet noise is, the, you know, that one. Yeah, listen to that. When I say flush, it gives you a satisfying feeling when you're just on the aeroplane and you hear that. Like, yeah, there it goes. There it goes. All right, that noise is what you're hearing. With that, another illusion. There it goes. Just so good. If you've been climbing Mount Dudu, you must be exhausted. It's time to give up your mountain climbing ways and fall fearlessly, fall fearlessly into the arms of a loving, wise, powerful God. Just fall fearlessly where He's sitting on a mercy seat for you. Not sitting on a judgment seat, He's sitting on a mercy seat for you. Would you stop trying to earn mercy? Mercy is only truly mercy when you don't deserve it. That's why our response is thanksgiving and worship because we're so grateful for this merciful God. So one of the areas that I just want to zero in, that was my introduction, by the way, we're now we're sort of getting into what I really wanted to talk to you about and that is dealing with the illusion of what it means to trust God. I talk to people and they say, I'm trusting God. But when you look under the bonnet, when you look under, you know, what's really going on here, what they're really saying is, I told God what to do and I'm trusting Him to do as He's told. I'm trusting Him that He will be my minion. That I told this all-wise, all-eternal, all-powerful God, I told Him what to do and I'm trusting Him to do as He." Whole, but it would seem that God has a very different view of what actually trusting looks like. Trusting God is actually worship. It is positioning God in the appropriate place where He's God in your life. He's God, unquestionably God. See, the reason why people struggle to trust God is really a control issue. Well, what's really going on here, what we're really struggling with is control, giving up control to God, and actually surrendering into the arms of an all-wise, all-loving, all-powerful God and trusting Him. We're not trying, when you're trusting God, you're not trying to control the outcome. Try that on for size. That's when I'm really trusting God. I'm not trying to control the outcome. I'm falling fearlessly into the arms of an all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving God and I'm not trying to control the outcome. That's what trust actually looks like and we, we, we need to get there. We need to, you know what anxiety, that gripping iron fist of fear we feel inside, you know what that's all about, anxiety, is we're trying to control something that's outside of our control. But you know when you're trusting God, that hand just begins to open. Many of us have uh, <clears throat> been 10 pin bowling, right? 
you know, uh, hello, give me, let me know. You're in there. Yeah, 10-pin bowling, yeah. If ever you want a, a few laughs and everything, don't pay to bowl, just go and watch, you know, because people's bowling techniques are really quite unique, you know, because you think, okay, uh, while this ball is in my hand, I have control, I have responsibility, but once it leaves my hand, that's it. Oh no, with some people, oh no, it's only just getting started. They, they let it go and then they turn, they contort their body like this and even maybe lift the leg. Apparently lifting the leg helps and this ball is responding. Oh, he's lifted his leg. All right, that's like, that means to the left. And then they wave, the wave comes in. Now, if they're getting really desperate, they'll shout at the ball. And the ball, of course, is listening, going, oh, so sorry, you know. It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. But we're like that with issues in our life, aren't we? We think that if I can just spiral into this tight little dot of anxiety and hold myself in the right position, somehow I can control what is outside of my control. But see, trust just opens its hand and lets it go and falls fearlessly into the love of God. And we hear this giving up control kind of trust in uh, the classic story of the three guys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in uh, Daniel. I love these guys. I love what they said. It's so real, so honest. They, you know, they're about to be thrown into this fiery furnace because they won't give up their faith. And they say to the king, the God we serve is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, <laughs> I love that part. Even if he doesn't, well, they, they're not trying to control the outcome. They're going, don't matter, we're still going to trust God. All right. I love, now, the slam dunk guy that we're all like, this is like gobsmacking stuff, is Job. He loses his health and wealth and family. And he says, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him? Yeah, you won't find that on the fridge magnet in Karong. You know, you a, a, a poster. Oh yeah, I want that one. Though he slay me, oh yes, laminate it now. I'll take it home. You won't find that. Oh, promise box. Oh, goody. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him? No. Uh, but where is this guy coming from? He he gets it. He gets that God is God. And I'm going to fall fearlessly into the arms of this God. But here's the thing I want you to grasp about trust is you can't jump there. You have to get there legitimately because trust has two steps. To get here properly and stay in trust, the reason why you can't stay in trust is because you jumped there, you didn't step there. And the two steps that you have to take to get to trust is acceptance, surrender, and then you end up in trust. Trust me, if you move through those two steps, you can stand in trust. The reason why we can't stand in trust long is because we didn't go through acceptance and surrender 
And we hear that so beautifully in the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't talk enough about the value, the purpose of Gethsemane. We talk a lot about Calvary, that's fantastic. But that was the public victory of the private victory of Gethsemane. Jesus got there within Himself before He acted it out publicly. What was going on inside Him in Gethsemane was such a critical part of the internal acceptance and surrender. It wasn't a bung on, it wasn't an act, it wasn't Him ticking the box, being there, done that, okay, uh, yeah, prayed the prayer. He was legitimately wrestling in His humanity with that moment and it says, He went a little further, fell on His face and prayed, I'm like, Father, if it's possible that this cup pass from me. And here's the word, nevertheless, Nevertheless, this is acceptance and surrender. God, that's what I want, but nevertheless, I want what you want. I accept and I surrender and He moves to trust. Trust in that beautiful place of worshipping God. God is my God. I'm, I'm not an orphan. I'm not abandoned. I'm not doing this life alone. I have a God. I am not going to keep saying the Lord is my shepherd and then living like I don't have one. I'm quit. I'm not doing it. I've resigned from being my own shepherd. I have a shepherd. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to ask the singers and musicians to, to come back and help me. And I want to just leave with you a, a beautiful uh, visual picture of trust. You know, there's a reason why the original languages of the Scriptures were... Hebrew and Greek and some Aramaic is in there as well. But in the Hebrew there, these people thought in pictures, very picturesque. And it's very hard for us to get English words that can capture quickly and easily a picture. And so we have to give our translators credit for, you know, what they do. Uh, But here's one where probably we need a little bit more work. (laughs) And this is familiar to a lot of us in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says, Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Now, that's beautiful. But actually the word wait in the Hebrew language means, gives the picture of binding together by twisting. Check it out. The word weight, there's a weight. And the picture is those that are wrapping themselves around God shall renew. The word renew means exchange. So let me just act out what that's saying. Could you get anything more weak flexible, lacking strength in this ribbon right now. But look what happens to this ribbon when I wrap it around this microphone. It's exchanging its weakness for the strength of the microphone. Those that wait, those that in their frailty, in their can't do itness, in a I'm not enoughness, they, those take the lesser truth of their circumstance, the weakness of their circumstance, wrap it around the Lord. The weak are now saying, I'm strong. 
The poor are now saying, I'm rich. Those needing healing in their bodies are now saying, I'm healed. See, God's not asking us to, to play some mind trick. He's saying, yeah, that, that's, with man, that's impossible. But with God, look what's possible with God. With God, all things are possible. Some of you in this room, you know, you're broken, messed up, maybe rejected and abused. And we could look at that and go, could any good thing come of that? Well, actually it can. When we take our lives and we wrap them around God, when we find a promise, when we take our problem, He can turn it around. It's not us, we're trusting. This is, that's trust. That's a life that's living in trust. They're keeping their life. Now, as soon as I stop, my weakness returns. But if I keep waiting on the Lord, I am constantly experiencing this exchange in my life. Why don't we stand uh, to our feet? 